Welcome to Dirty Drinks, where infectious disease and infection prevention professionals get together and talk about everything dirty that keeps them up at night. Join co-hosts Dr. Rick Starlin and Sarah Stream as they talk to other professionals about the dirty things that they think about every day. Hello, everyone. This is Sarah with Dirty Drinks. Thanks for listening to today's episode. I'm coming to you live from the Nebraska Infectious Disease Society 2023 Annual Conference. We've had tons of great speakers so far, and I am trying to get some of them to come over here to talk to me. So stay tuned, and we will bring you some amazing infectious disease professionals. Hello, everyone. We're here at the Nebraska ID Society Annual Conference, and I have with me Dr. Carrie Neiman. Hi. Thanks so much for coming on the podcast to chat a little bit. Um, You've really been instrumental in putting this whole conference together today, haven't you? Yes. Just about every piece of it. (laughs) I've seen you running around. Took it with your head cut off. So, as a part of the NID Society, how much work goes into putting together a conference like this? Uh, a lot more than I thought it was going to be. Um, we started planning this early fall of last year. Um, we decided that since Nebraska Infectious Disease Society represents all of Nebraska, we wanted to move the location to somewhere else outside of Omaha, and so we chose Lincoln. And so I remember coming to Lincoln in January, looking at event spaces. <laughs> and so that was interesting. Um, but taking on the role of an event planner this past um, year has been a lot. And I have new appreciation for people in those roles. Yes, it is a lot of work. It is. But we're so appreciative <laughs> that you put everything together and got fabulous speakers. I really enjoyed all of the speakers today. Oh, good. Yes. yes. We started a little slow. Um, we had issues with Zoom, but after that, we, we caught up eventually. <laughs> there are always issues with technology. Yeah. I think everyone expects that now. <laughs> yes. Um, what was your favorite part of today? The end. <laughs> <laughs> um, it You know, f- for so many months, I've been walking through the event kind of minute by minute. Um, what's going to be next? Where are we going to go after this? And to actually see it go in motion and see everything set up, and then see that finish line, that has been the best part today. You can breathe easy now, right? My husband said, don't do this again. (laughs) Your husband is a smart man. Yes. 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 Um, Who was your favorite speaker for today? Um, Dr. Bittner. Um, I love hearing him speak. Um, He's so much fun. Because he's so much fun. Uh, his topic was, you know, very straightforward, you know, PCV 20, 2020. Um, and I don't know that I learned a whole lot new from him, but I love the content that I got and just his stories. <laughs> Great. Well, thanks so much for stopping in and mm-hmm. saying hi. And um, is there anything else that you'd like our podcast listeners to know about? Yes. So the Nebraska Infectious Disease Society has a webinar series that we host um, uh, quarterly. The next one will be in October. It's the fourth Tuesday of the month, uh, over the noon hour. This is a free webinar with um, an hour of CME available. 
Uh, our speaker is going to be Dr. Jim Nora, who's an ID doctor here from Lincoln, and he is going to present on the identification of uh, latent TB infection and uh, treatment. Um, this is a webinar series that is really focused on primary care physicians, um, updating them on what is uh, new um, in ID. And so, wonderful opportunity for free CME. Awesome. Where can people find information about this? Uh, on the NIDS uh, website. Um, and we also send out flyers to multiple organizations as we get closer to the date. Great. And would you welcome people outside of Nebraska to join? If they of would course. Like? Very good. So I will drop the NIDS website information into our show notes for everybody. Okay. And thanks so much for putting on a great conference today. It was fabulous. All right. Thank you so much. Thanks. I'm back with Dr. Maureen Tierney, who is a very special guest today. She is officially the past president of the Nebraska Infectious Disease Society. So thank you for letting me chat with you for a few minutes. Oh, I'm really happy to be here. And I'm actually, when she, Sarah said officially, I'm, I'm the past president by like a half an hour, yes. right? So I, I did it for two years and it was just an unbelievable honor and privilege to do it. I know I've really been a fan of what the society has been doing. Um, can you talk a little bit about why it came to be? Um, I, I'd love to. Uh, you know, so, oh my gosh. So two years ago now, I think it became increasingly clear that there was factors that um, not related to science and not related to public health practice that were affecting decisions that were being made. And so a number of... ID docs, ID pharmacists, um, uh, you know, ID other caregivers really wanted to come together to support each other and also make sure that, that we could provide an apolitical stance and voice on things related to masks and vaccines and ventilation. Um, and, you know, it also enabled us, um, enabled us to do it for our fellow Nebraskans because Nebraskans trust Nebraskans first. And so we thought that that we could provide this service and hopefully people would listen to us. That's great. I think it's been a great initiative so far. Um, what has been your favorite part of being president? Um, honestly, getting to talk to, uh, you know, all my colleagues. Um, I, I, I think that's probably my favorite thing. My favorite thing is being able to have these meetings you know, at first, we, like literally for the, in the first two months, because it was right around the Delta wave. And so there was just, there was a, a lot of concern. There was a lot of death. They were like, how do we get the word out the way we need to? So for our first, for a while, we were meeting every week. Then it went to every two. Then it went to every month. And now sort of we're at every two, every two months. Um, but still, you know, infectious disease folks and public health folks are not in it for the money. It's not the most lucrative of the subspecialties or fields, but they really are doing it because they're dedicated to trying protecting the public health. And so they're great people. So that's, I think, my favorite thing. I couldn't agree with you more. Yeah. Um, what do you feel like have been your most successful initiatives of the last two years? Um, so I think that we've, um, we've decided that when there are certain things where there's a lot of misinformation out there, 
that we collectively try and put our, we put our brains together and our opinions together um, and provide statements that have been put into uh, the Omaha World Herald, the Lincoln Journal Star. Sometimes um, we get interviewed about them, um, about things that are happening so the public really understands, you know, okay, where is the latest variant and how bad is it? Um, should we be changing the masking policy in hospitals? Um, our most recent um, statement is about um, the pulling of the wastewater surveillance dashboard. So I, I think those are the things. Um, that's probably number one. Number two, which is an effort that um, uh, Gwen Scar and um, Carrie Neiman and James Lawler, uh, Angela Hewlett, Dave Quimby have really led, has been trying to provide education for, you know, family practitioners out in more rural Nebraska. All this information is changing so much, they have so much to keep up on, and we want to work with them as colleagues to provide our expertise. Both very great initiatives, and I'm always a fan of providing education to those that need it. Yeah. Such a great thing. Um, so now that you're no longer acting president, what yeah. are you going to do with your vacation time? Well, it turns <laughs> out that um, Brian Alexander, who's our um, treasurer, reminded me that I am still on the governance committee, that I am past president, but past president is actually a position. It's not like, okay, I can, you know. So um, I'm going to be able to, you know, kibitz um, a little bit. I'm a New Yorker, so I use kibitz as a term from time to time. Um, but, uh, uh, you know, I actually think it's great. Kelly Cockett is going to be the next president. <clears throat> She's got tremendous energy, tremendous expertise, and she's much more uh, tech-savvy than me. So I think she's going to be a terrific next president. So I'll just be there kind of opining and being involved, um, but she gets to lead the way. Great. I, I do love Dr. Cockett. She's fabulous. Yeah, she really is. Um, so for today's conference, who was your favorite speaker or what was your favorite topic of today? Ooh, that's a tough one because there were a lot of, um, you know, I think our guest speaker, Dr. Brito, um, uh, brought up some really important topics about, uh, you know, what are the ways to prevent HIV infection and how, you know, there's some really great um, pharmaco pharmacological ways to do it. Um, but the reality is, is that whenever you do anything pharmacologically, People have to have to do it. They have to take it on a routine basis. So it was some practical advice on some other methods that might work, um, you know, that are different than pharmacological. I thought that was a great talk. I thought the updates on um, respiratory virus vaccines was fantastic as well. And it's confusing. The RSV vaccine, um, you know, is a little bit confusing now, but, you know, going forward, um, ACIP is going to recommend that adults over 60 are going to be, uh, get three vaccines this fall, COVID, influenza, and RSV. Um, and if you haven't had it yet, then and you're over 65, you're supposed to get a pneumococcal vaccine. So get those, roll up those sleeves, get those biceps ready, um, right. because it's those almost, shots are coming. It's almost that season, isn't it? It is. It is very much so. Yes. Great. Well, what do you see as the future of NIDS? 
Um, well, I think we're only going to get, uh, you know, a, a lot of these past two years. The first year was really, um, you know, what do they say? Drinking through the straw, drinking something through the You know, it was so focused on the intensity of what was happening with COVID. Um, the second year, which was this year, I think was was still, you know, doing a lot with COVID, but really getting our organization in order, you know, because if you're doing your, we're a 501c6, so it's a nonprofit. Um, it's, uh, you know, getting the membership, getting the finances so that we can do things. Um, I think one of the things that we've started that I see getting more, more organized is um, the education actually outside of Omaha and Lincoln. So if you look at infectious disease specialists, you know, the disproportion, there's so many in Omaha. Um, there's less than you'd expect in Lincoln, actually. And then there's, um, uh, and then when you go west of Lincoln, it really drops off. So being able to provide consistent education west of Lincoln is, I think, probably one of our major foci for next year. Such a great initiative. Well, thank you so much for being on today. I really appreciate it. Well, thank you, Sarah. You do a wonderful job at hosting this. Thank you. So it was fun and um, look forward to doing it again sometime. Yes, absolutely. All right. Take care. All right. I am back at the NIDS conference right now with Brian Alexander, who is an antimicrobial stewardship pharmacist and a member of the NIDS board. Um, so can you tell me a little bit about your position on the board and um, how long you've been doing it? Sure, yeah. Thanks, Sarah. Um, I'm the treasurer on the NIDS board. Um, I've been part of NIDS since the original conception when everyone was kind of pulling together during the COVID pandemic to, um, to provide some advocacy um, around infectious diseases in Nebraska. Um, so that, I believe stretch back into late 2000, early 2001 is when we started the group. Um, so I've been part of the group since then. And then um, once we kind of organized as a formal uh, institution, kind of late 2001, early 2000, or 2021, 2022, um, I put myself in there as the treasurer. That's awesome. And you've done some great work with getting affiliated with IDSA. Is that correct? Correct. Yeah, absolutely. So um, one of the really exciting things that kind of really coincided um, with our uh, incorporation as a society, but the IDSA has also been moving towards um, really trying to reinvigorate their affiliate, state affiliate society program. Um, and it was, again, right around the same time. And so just as we were kind of forming um, they were getting, you know, this organization together to reinvigorate that program. And so it was kind of perfect because they, you know, we were able to talk with them about what we were doing. And I think um, there were also other states uh, in a similar position to us that were, you, like the COVID pandemic was becoming a, a galvanizing force uh, in other states as well. So we were maybe a few months or almost a year ahead of some of those other societies. So we were able to provide some um, advice to North Carolina in, in one particular instance um, in, you know, how to do incorporation and um, what things to think about in kind of forming their society. That's awesome. Really great work. Um, what do you find most valuable about your membership? Yeah, so I mean, I think what's really exciting, especially as a non-physician member of um, Nebraska ID Society, is the ability to, um, first of all, get to work closely in, you know, on 
towards a similar goal with people of, of all different um, professions. So not only physicians, um, but pharmacists, nurses, NPs, uh, infection preventionists, and uh, also uh, those in public health uh, at the state level um, to you know, work towards improving uh, infectious disease practice throughout the state. And so I think that it really does give you an opportunity to meet people outside of our institutions. We're always so, you know, very institutional focused. Sometimes you kind of lose that perspective of what's going on around the state. And, you know, we do have other ways to do it, but typically the ways that we um, do talk and, and provide communication is usually along those similar lines of profession. So I may talk to the other pharmacists around the state, but I may not know the other nurses um, or other professionals um, in other institutions. And this really does provide uh, a great way to get to know people, uh, to broaden those networks across the state. And it's really, you know, as with uh, ID, no matter where you are, it's such a, you know, really great group to work with. Everybody's so friendly. Um, and so I think it's really been a, a great uh, opportunity for me and I think would be for, for anybody in, in terms of getting to uh, broaden their network of ID professionals. That's great. Collaboration is so important, um, regardless of what your profession is, especially in the ID community. Yeah, it really is. I mean, it's, it's been uh, it's so important for us um, to stay together as a community through the pandemic. and. Um, yeah, it, it's going to be going forward too. We just use that energy to, you know, hopefully now, uh, I think now that we've kind of got through the pandemic and with respect to the society, we've been able to kind of pull together and get the initial nitty gritty of forming the society together. What we want to do now is move forward. You know, what are the advocacy steps that we want to take? What are the educational steps that we want to take as a society moving past that initial kind of COVID energy and turning it into, you know, ID energy moving forward in general. So don't waste a good crisis, right? That's right. Never <laughs> let a good crisis go to waste. Indeed. Um, so if somebody were interested in joining the Nebraska ID Society, what would they need to do? Yeah, absolutely. So um, if you want to be a full society member, um, it's open to all those who have um, ID training or do their primary work in infectious disease in, in any specialty. Um, and so just go to the idnebraska.com or .org website um, and you can get in contact with us there. And um, But even if you're not an ID specialist professional, um, certainly that's still your website for contact. You can contact us, get on our email list, and we're always providing education um, as, you know, as with this meeting today, which is open to anybody of any profession, ID specialist or not, and we're um, hoping that that provides a good resource for everybody um, to learn more about ID. That's awesome. Uh, and I am happy to announce that I am now a member after today, so I'm very excited to get involved. Sarah's feeling the love here today. Am, this is I great. Am. This is a great group of people. Um, you know, I'm in a lot of other associations. I have a dental background, so I'm in dental association meetings all the time. And it's just this group brings a different energy. So everyone's so passionate about what they do and willing to share their knowledge. It's been fantastic. Yeah, that's great. And we're appreciative for your passion for this medium and uh, your ability and interest in kind of getting getting this out there to, to others so that they can also, you know, kind of learn from it. So we appreciate you and all that you do in this medium. So. Oh, yeah. We're happy. I'm always happy to share. Um, who was your favorite speaker today? Or I guess what was your favorite topic of the day? 
Yeah. I mean, all the speakers are always great. Um, really, I think for me, what's, what was most exciting was really fleshing out a little more the, um, the trainee abstracts and such. So last year we had a few, it was kind of a last minute thing that we pulled together um, with a few trainees that were able to, to find out that you know, we were interested in abstract development. And, and this year we had a lot more time and Dr. Marcellin um, was able to really get a good group. I think we have maybe 10 or 15 posters um, and we had our best uh, research and our best um, uh, case presentation, and I really think that getting the trainees involved, um, getting them interested in ID, and then us just you know getting to see them interact with them uh, on the local level is really exciting. So I, I would say probably the trainee involvement for this year. That's awesome. That's one of our main goals with the podcast is helping to get people more interested in the profession. So I'm really glad to see that there was so much student involvement today. It's yeah. been awesome. It sure was. Awesome. Well, thanks so much, Brian, for coming on for a few minutes to talk about what you've been doing. Yeah. Thank you for having me. And um, yeah, it's been a great meeting. Thanks, Sarah. All right, everybody, I am back with today's special guest of the day, Max Brito, who came to us from Illinois. Yes, from Chicago. Yeah, absolutely. And you are on the IDSA board, is that correct? I am, yes. Yes, yes, absolutely. I'm one of the uh, directors, one of the members. We have uh, the leadership track, which is the vice president, the president-elect, the president of the immediate past president, and then we have a board of uh, uh, several directors. And your very own Jasmine Marceline is one of them. Yeah. Well, we're very happy to have you here today for the meeting. Um, you also were our keynote speaker for today. Um, so you gave a little bit of an update on what's going on in IDSA, and then you were able to talk a little bit about your passion projects, uh, HIV prep. And um, I found that talk very interesting. Oh, thank you. Thank you. Yeah, we wanted to update everyone on the different initiatives that the society is, uh, is undertaking. Um, as they relate to physician ID workforce, um, trying to recruit more young people into ID, and physician fair compensation. And then I went in into my uh, area of interest as far as scholarly work, which is HIV prevention, and you know how prep and um, different you know modalities or strategies. Like, for example, male circumcision, which is something I've done some work in, uh, you know, can help curb uh, the HIV epidemic and new infections. Yeah, it was, it was very fascinating hearing you talk about specifically the male circumcision and how not only it impacted the rates of HIV conversion, but they also had some other really positive factors yes, that were related to that. Positive effects, it can reduce, you know, folks who are uh, men who are uncircumcised uh, um, have a 60% risk reduction in, in, in HIV rates. And, but it also, you know, decreases the rates of HPV, human papillomavirus, and it decreases the rate, it may decrease, there in two of the trials, or the original trials, it decreased the rates of herpes simplex, so ulcerative, you know, uh, genital disease. So it's a pretty powerful data, and I think it's one, you know, we were interested in looking at is circumcision um, 
can we export circumcisions from Africa to the Caribbean? And we did this clinical trial in the Dominican Republic, which um, suggested that it was acceptable and feasible. Um, and so it may be a strategy for some populations. Is it for everybody? No, because it doesn't work very well in men who have sex with other men or transgender women. But for heterosexual men uh, who are vulnerable to HIV because of the number of partners, then it might be an alternative. And there are plenty of places where there is, um, you know, a low circumcision rate. This could be offered as another strategy to, to some men. Yeah, one of, I think one of the most powerful takeaways I had was that it opened up some of those clinics for men to seek health care. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, that was one of the most interesting things. It's a way of bringing men to care. And so it, it is very powerful. Men are kind of, in some settings, I'm not talking about the U.S., but in some global settings, um, men are alienated from the healthcare system. So they think uh, doctors are to go, you, you know, you go to a doctor when you have a disease or when you're sick. Whereas women and children have routine preventive visits. So women go for pap smears. Um, there's a pediatrics day where women take their children for vaccination, vaccinations. But for men, there's no space uh, in those settings. So circumcision creates a space for men to um, get closer to the healthcare system. And so circumcision is a way. When men come for circumcision, then you provide reproductive health cancer screening or uh, you know, uh, family planning or talk about domestic violence, how to reduce domestic violence. So it, it is an opportunity to engage men in care. Absolutely. I'm sure it's been a very rewarding project. It has been. I think. We, we've done the study some years ago, and I think it was very rewarding working in, I'm, I am from the Dominican Republic, so working in my native country and um, engaging with populations who are, who are vulnerable to HIV and being able to, uh, you know, offer a strategy that can reduce the risk was quite rewarding. Good, good. Now, you mentioned that you have your own podcast. I do, I do, I do. I have a podcast. It is the, um, it's called Microbius, so microbes in Spanish. It is the Spanish podcast of the American Society for Microbiology, ASM. And um, it's called Microbius, um, and you can find it wherever, um, wherever you find podcasts. Awesome. I, mean, I, will, I will find it, and I'll link it in our show notes. Great. That's yeah. great. And send me your podcast, and I will. I will link it to ours. Yes, and, absolutely. And send me this episode. I want to hear it. Very nice meeting you. Thank yes. you for having me. Yes, thank you for being on. All right, absolutely. Take care. All right, everybody. I am back right now with one of our oral abstract winners. Uh, it's actually a team of medical students. We have Molly Antonson and Lauren Klingman. And they did an oral abstract on Bartonella Hensley. So thanks so much for being on the show with us, you guys. Oh, we're excited to be here. Thanks for having us. Yeah. Um, so you guys teamed up for this abstract. Can you tell our listeners a little bit about what you did? Yeah. So this was a case from a patient, a pediatric patient, actually. This was a two-year-old who um, was found to have a severe Bartonella-Hensley infection. 
So often when we think of Bartonella hensley, we think of cat scratch disease, which is just self-limited in nature, um, doesn't really need a lot of treatment or require hospitalization. But this patient actually developed some hepatic abscesses, also got some bone involvement as well. And it was just a really tricky case to diagnose because the uh, history of having this cat exposure didn't come up until a few weeks after he presented with his fevers and symptoms. Um, so tricky to diagnose, abnormal presentation, and just a really interesting case and uh, just tells us how much we need to keep these less common things on our differential. That's great. Do yeah. you have anything to add? Well, the typical presentation with Bartonella hensley includes regional lymphadenopathy and cutaneous manifestations, but this was completely different. We saw disseminated infection here with hematogenous spread. And like Molly had mentioned earlier, we saw involvement of the liver, the spleen, and the bone. And so this was just really unique um, and something that's not seen very often in infectious disease in general, but even more specifically, this type of bartonella hensley infection with the dissemination is even more rare. That's great. It was a great presentation. I really enjoyed it. I am an infection preventionist, so I'm not going to lie, a lot of it went over my head, <laughs> but um, I do have cats at home so um, and children, so it's something that I can yeah. keep in the back of my mind now. Yeah. Um, what prompted you to want to do an abstract on this topic? Yeah, so Molly and I are both a part of the infectious disease interest group at UNMC, and there was an event that we had last semester where various infectious disease physicians brought cases forward and students were able to sign up and partner up with various infectious disease doctors to work on case reports. And so Molly and I got put on a team together with Dr. Neiman um, and we've been working on this project ever since last semester. That's awesome. It's a great project to work on. Yeah, seriously. Yeah, yeah. We got really lucky with such a fascinating case. And so. a great mentor too. Yes. yes. Dr. Neiman's been awesome in providing us feedback with both our presentation and our abstract. And we're hoping to write a case report with this to maybe get published later. So oh, That's super exciting. Yeah. Um, if you were to get published, where would you want to submit through? We're, yeah. we're not exactly sure yet. There's lots of um, high, re highly regarded infectious disease journals. That would be a great goal, but we are happy with any, any publication. Yeah. And it's, since <laughs> it's a fascinating case, I think, I think I, it will be interesting. Yeah, I think it's just important for research in general to get disseminated to people. So anyone can have access to it. Mm -hmm. So wherever it gets published will be a good place as long yes. as people are able to read it and learn more about this case that we um, presented today. Absolutely. Well, it's so much fun to see the excitement that you guys have for this. Um, and I know you're just kind of beginning your medical career. Is infectious disease something that you're thinking about going into? Yeah, it's definitely on the list of possibilities. I am leaning towards either dermatology or internal medicine, which would, internal medicine would take me down the path of infectious disease. So probably one of those two. Yeah, and I'm interested in either doing pediatrics or internal medicine. And I really have a fascination with the immune system. So I think either rheumatology or infectious disease would be really cool. Both of them look at the immune system from like opposite perspectives. So I need to decide which perspective I like more. <laughs> You've got a little bit of time to we figure do. out which direction you want to go into. Yeah. Um, well, I'm really glad you guys came to the meeting today and were able to present. Uh, throughout the rest of the meeting, though, did you have a favorite topic or an idea that you came away with? 
Yeah, I really enjoyed the presentations on um, vaccines. Okay, the yeah, updates, me too. <laughs> yeah. The updates they gave were just really, like, I think that as medical students, we don't get these updates as much as the physicians who are providing the care to the patients. So it was it was really great to hear about, especially RSV um, and just ways we can go forward with improving vaccine rates and infection rates. Yeah, I also enjoyed the vaccine presentations as well, specifically the RSV ones. Um, in undergrad, I remember doing a presentation on RSV, so it's cool to see like in the last three years how far vaccines have come and treatment for RSV. There's always something new and emerging, isn't mm-hmm. there? Yeah. Hopefully the next new and emerging thing is not a new pandemic, right? <laughs> yes. yes. That would, that's what yes. we're hoping for. That's why we got vaccines. Yeah, yeah exactly. <laughs> that's right. We just need to get everybody on board with the vaccine. Yes. Exactly. Um, so has the pandemic affected your education so far? Yeah, I think it definitely did when I started medical school. We were still wearing masks and a lot of things were still virtual, but it's really been awesome to be able to transition to um, over these past three years, just being able to be more in person. And um, there's really nothing that beats the actual in-person connection that you get to make with different patients and doctors. So I'm really thankful to be kind of moving away from all of that. (laughs) Yeah, as far as like the education standpoint goes for medical school, for me, this is just my second year of med school. So last year was a pretty typical year for us. We got to do everything in person. We were masked at the beginning. Um, So I guess COVID more affected my time in undergrad than medical school. Sure. Well, thank you so much for coming on the podcast to chat a little bit. Um, And congratulations on your oral abstract winning. Thank you so much. Thank you. It's very exciting. All right. Have a great rest of your evening, ladies. You too. Thanks for Thanks again. Us. All right, everybody. I am back with Kathy Sashan, who is an ID fellow at UNMC. And she actually had a poster presentation at the conference here today on the uh, antimicrobial stewardship core elements in long-term care. So thanks so much for being on the show with us. Thank you. Happy to be here. Yeah. Um, so as far as the conference goes... It's been a really great conference. I've enjoyed it. Um, What was your favorite topic that was talked about today? Well, I'm biased (laughs) because my colleague, um, Jenna Frisker, actually talked about a lot of the data that I also presented in my poster, uh, expounding upon what the long-term care facilities around um, Nebraska have been doing with their stewardship programs um, and how they've been meeting the goals. Besides that, I did also particularly enjoy the uh, pneumococcal vaccination talk. That's great. There's been a lot of talk about all of the vaccination information today, so all really great stuff. Um, would you like to talk a little bit more about your poster and how you worked with Jenna in the long-term care facilities? Sure, yeah. So um, we conducted a survey around the long-term care facilities in the state um, through the ASAP program, which is the Uh, Antimicrobial Stewardship Assessment Program, which is a partnership through uh, UNMC and the Department of uh, Health and Human Services, funded through a CDC grant. Um, So with the goal to see how we are doing with implementing antimicrobial stewardship in the communities and in particular in the long-term care facilities. Um, And so we, uh, the poster was looking at the data from the survey that was collected um, between 2021 and 2022 to see how they're doing with meeting uh, the CDC's core elements. 
Um, and so definitely there are, I think, some areas for improvement, although a lot of areas where they've also been doing really well considering the resources um, and also being obviously impacted by the COVID-19 pandemic happening in the middle of this. Um, and so my poster was essentially going through the details of some areas for where we can continue to improve um, on antimicrobial stewardship in these facilities, um, in particular with um, where we're reporting. So reporting on data on um, C. diff infections in these facilities and multidrug resistant organisms, um, and then also educational resources in particular for the clinical providers at these facilities uh, to kind of give the short summary. That's great. And I know Jenna talked a little bit about an opportunity for education for the antimicrobial stewardship pharmacists that work for, work with the long-term care facilities. Yeah, exactly. So uh, pharmacists are frequently the source of um, drug expertise for these stewardship programs out in the community. Um, and so an area where we have seen a great opportunity for improving education um, for how to implement and improve these programs. Um, and so we've actually been working on something called Project ECHO, uh, which is a year-long um, training program uh, targeting these pharmacists who are providing antimicrobial stewardship expertise to these long-term care facilities. And am I correct in assuming that there's not a lot of education that's targeted toward long-term care with these pharmacists? Absolutely. So there are um, a few resources kind of generally available through the CDC um, and now through ASAP, but uh, frequently not directly um, focused on the pharmacists. And so this is a unique opportunity to provide some dedicated education for them. That's so great. Um, I'm sure you have a lot of happy pharmacists right now that are in that program. <laughs> <laughs> I hope so. Um, so what are some key takeaways from your poster? Um, so definitely that I think we have a lot of room for growth for antimicrobial stewardship uh, outside of hospitals, um, and in particularly in these long-term care facilities. Um, you know, just in general, trying to make sure that these get implemented and that we are providing resources and typically, um, ideally, free resources um, to be able to improve these programs. Um, so areas for education uh, and areas for getting leadership involvement to prioritize um, implementing these programs out in these facilities. That's so great. And if if there were maybe long-term care staff out there that were listening to the show and they were curious about these antimicrobial stewardship resources, where could they reach out to? Yeah, so uh, actually on the uh, ASAP website um, through Nebraska Medicine. Uh, so there is a list of these resources or they can also reach out directly uh, to some of the people who are working through UNMC and DHHS um, who can provide those resources. And again, many of them are free. Um, and we do also offer in-depth assessments uh, personalized towards facilities if they would like to reach out um, and get some more details or their own assessment that is also free of charge um, and something that we think can help to improve these programs. So great. And congratulations on getting your poster accepted today. Thank you. Um, um, I'll also be at ID Week if anyone else is there, too, and awesome. wants to learn more. Well, thank you so much for being on today and talking about your project. Thank you so much for inviting me. I enjoyed yeah. it. Thanks so much for joining us today on Dirty Drinks. I wanted to make sure that everybody got the resources that were mentioned in today's episode. So I will include these in the show notes as well as let you know the links to all of the different resources. The first resource is for the Nebraska Infectious Disease Society website, and that is idnebraska.org.
The podcast mentioned by Dr. Max Brito is called Microbios, M-I-C-R-O-B-I-O-S. This Spanish podcast can be found anywhere you listen to podcasts, and you can find more information about it on the American Society for Microbiology website at www.asm.org backslash podcasts backslash microbios. The last resource mentioned was the Nebraska ASAP webpage when we talked about antimicrobial stewardship resources for the long-term care setting. Nebraska ASAP is the Nebraska Antimicrobial Stewardship Assessment and Promotion Program, and their webpage is asap.nebraskamed.com, where you can find antimicrobial stewardship resources and the ability to contact our antimicrobial stewardship pharmacists. Thank you all again for joining me at the wonderful Nebraska ID Society Annual Conference. It was a great time had by all with some fabulous speakers, and we can't wait to bring you more next year. Thank you for joining us for today's episode. If you enjoyed this content, please share it with your friends. And don't forget to be a part of the conversation by following us at dirty underscore drinks on Twitter. If you would like to share your story, reach out to us through Twitter to become a guest on future episodes. We would love to meet you. Have a great week and make sure to get your fill of dirty drinks.